We have been traveling through the letter to the Ephesians from Paul as of late. And I want to, so that we're, we're, we've reached Ephesians chapter 3. And of course, when the original letter was written, there were no chapter delineations. It was just a letter. But it's been parsed out for us so that we can find certain passages quickly. And we've reached Ephesians 3. And Ephesians 3 starts off with some of what I would consider introductory or foundational material, where Paul talks to us about uh, who he is and what he's doing. And so I want to I sum up kind of where we've come from in order to get where we're going. And in Ephesians 1, this is... These are excerpts from Ephesians 1, and he talks about how we have been adopted to sonship, and so we've been brought out of something into something else, that we've received redemption, forgiveness of sins, it's been lavished on us. And it says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, and that phrase in Christ is what we hear over and over and over, and we need to discover what does that mean to be in Christ, to bring unity to all things in heaven on earth under Christ. So it says... You have been brought out of something into something, and forgiveness has been lavished upon you, partially, partly because God's, the mystery of God's will is that he will bring unity to all things. So unity to all starts with you. And then he goes on in his letter to say God, or Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. So last week we talked about hostility between groups, and it says that Christ ends hostility. Christ wants to take two groups and make them one, and it says the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. His purpose was to create in himself, there it is again, one new humanity, making peace. In him, again, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we've been talking about God in Christ, in us, showing Christ and God to the world. God in Christ, in us, and Christ in God. And so he continues in chapter 3. And he starts with some, some more introductory stuff as he kind of builds, builds what he wants to say. But he says, for this reason, so this, this reason of, bringing, of touching individual lives and bringing unity to people everywhere, he said, that's what Paul says, that's what he's wanting to do. He says, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. And I want to point out that that particular phrase right there. He says, it's been made known to me by revelation. So this mystery that God is reaching everyone everywhere, not just the Jews, was shown to Paul. So as we continue, it's going to be important that we recognize that there's a distinction between what they would call natural and learned knowledge. So if you study physics, you're going to learn physics. If you study grammar, you're going to learn better grammar. That's natural or learned knowledge. Revelatory knowledge or revelation knowledge is knowledge that is bestowed upon you that you probably would not have access to in your own faculties. And so what you're going to see in this little introduction by Paul is that this, that this knowledge has been bestowed apart from us, that it's something we can't really even strive for, we can't even really try for, but it's given to us. And he continues, in reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight in the mysteries of Christ. He continues, which was not made known to people in other generations. See that phrase, made known. So something was revealed to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit. Again, revelation knowledge to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And again, it's been revealed. It's been made known. He continues in this next passage. He says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So Paul says, I can't even serve God 
without God doing something in me. I can't muscle up enough power. I can't muscle myself up and make myself strong enough to follow God. And he says, he says, even though he's the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to him. So this guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who revolutionized history, says, I'm really kind of nothing, but something was given to me. This great gift was given to me. And he closes out this introductory part by saying, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden. It was not revealed in God who created all things. Again, he continues, his intent was that now through the church, which means you, ecclesia, it's, it's the people of God. It says through the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So this revelation has been given to us and we are to make it known to other people. It says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, the accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So you've got this Jewish guy in a Roman prison writing to Romans, saying, don't be discouraged by the fact that I'm in jail for you, because something bigger is happening. Now, I, know, I understand that's a wall of text, but it's leading up to the last half of Ephesians chapter 3, which I think is, is a topic we're all very much interested in, and Eddie Murphy is going to give us just a taste of three words that I think are incredibly important to us. To be loved. It's, uh, I think it's what we all want, desperately. There's, there, there are bridges in Europe, and they're probably starting in the States, where people will come and declare their eternal love to their beloved by placing a padlock. Karen and I did it when we were in Italy. You, you take a padlock and you write something on it, you know, HH plus KH forever with a little heart. It's so sweet. And then, and then you lock it down on bridges or there's, there's walls that they've built with mesh all over them and so they hang these locks. And my understanding is that some of the bridges have actually been, have, have had to have been torn down and reconstructed because the weight of all the locks on them. You go, and I mean, some of them are just covered in padlocks. But I'm convinced that to be loved, if you could ask anyone and they could really search their own heart and you could say, what do you want? There, isn't there a Ryan Gosling movie? What movie is that? I'm ashamed that you know that. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the Notebook where he says, what do you want? What do you, I've seen the clip and I thought, I'm not watching this movie. There's no way. But it's, it, that's what we want. That's what we are, are desperate for and what we hunger for. And this passage in Ephesians, this letter uh, from Paul starts to hit on this, this base foundational need that we all have uh, and all have in great magnitude. This is for this reason. So, so you want to know how the pastor of pastors prays for his people. We talked about that in Ephesians 1, and now he continues. He says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. So again, it's something you can't do, that God will do something in you through his spirit, in your inner being. So it's an inner work. So Paul's praying that something will happen to your inner self that you couldn't do on your own. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's in Christ. That's the summation of it is that God lives in you. And then this just absolutely wonderful portion of this letter. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp, this is it right here, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We back it up, the part that I've emphasized here. He prays that God will live in your inner being. And then he says this. He says that you can have power, something you don't have in yourself, to grasp, to know love that surpasses knowledge. We can't get the love of God. We can't wrap our brains around it. It's just absolutely impossible. But what Paul is praying for his people is that somehow, some way, they'll get it. They'll grasp is the word he uses. They'll get a hold of this love that, that is so far beyond our comprehension that we couldn't ever get it on our own is what this letter talks about. And so this brought up several points. Um, and, and again, I'm not necessarily parsing these passages out exegetically. I'm not going through step by step, verse by verse, and saying, what does this passage mean for this passage? I'm reading these passages and talking out loud about what it says to me. And the first thing this one said to me was just kind of kaboom, like mind blown. And that's, that's what this is talking about, is that there's this love out there. There's a love available to you that is beyond what you can get on your own. It's mind-blowing sort of love. It's love that, that you might think you have a chance at getting and you just don't. It's just so far beyond you. I remember the first time that I went on, well, when I had approached my wife about us being a thing, basically, <laughs> is kind of the way to put it. And I was going to go meet with her and her parents in southern Illinois. And I may have shared this story before, but... I was driving up to, uh, it's a traditional way of viewing things, but to receive the blessing of her parents. And so I'm driving from Murray, Kentucky to Norris City, Illinois. And I remember at some point I'm driving down the road and I look down and I'm going 104 miles an hour. I just, it just, the, the speedometer had just gotten there somehow. And it's because I was, man, I, my mind was somewhere else. I was excited. And I remember slowing down but think, and looking around to see if I was going to get pulled over. And I, rem <laughs> I remember thinking, if I get pulled over, I'll just tell the cop I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember having that thought. And it's, it's, it's the kind, you know, the, and, and that, that's about the most in love I ever remember being in my life, like that fullness, that joy, that excitement. But what Paul is saying is that that's nothing. That feeling, that, that thought, that, that idea is trivial compared to the reality of what love is actually like. It's a mind-blowing, incomprehensible love that is available from God. So I made a list this week of what I want. I thought of the Ryan Gosling quote, unfortunately. Somehow that's stuck in my skull and I thought, what do I want? And so I made a list. When it comes to love, what do I want? And I want to be understood. I want, I want someone to get me. And then secondly, I want them to love me anyway. And that's a, that's a big thing to ask is for somebody to really get me and still love me because I can be pretty unlovable. But I want to be, and it's not just in romantic love or erotic love. It's just in, in friendship love or familial love, my family. It's, it's, I want these things from everybody. I, I, this is what I want out of life is for somebody to get me, for somebody to like me even though they get me, to be appreciated and admired, to be desired, for people to want to be with me, around me, to be a part of my life. I want to be included. I want people that will challenge me, so I don't, I don't want people that will just leave me the way I am, but they love me enough to kind of push me. I want to be free, and this is, what I mean by this is, even though I want to be included, admired, desired, I don't want somebody that if, I, if, if I'm not around that they just feel empty and desperate. I don't want a desperate love where somebody you know, feels like they need to stalk me to figure out where I'm at at all times. I want freedom. I want a trusting 
kind of love. And then finally, I want faithfulness. I want somebody who will not just love me, but who will love me forever. This is, this is my heart's desire as, as a man. That's what I want out of life probably more than anything is that list right there. And it's an interesting list because when you think about God and you think about what God has revealed, this is what he gives us. This whole list is, is kind of what God bestows upon us, but it goes beyond what anything we've ever experienced with human beings. Andrew and the team have been doing this song from Bethel called Reckless Love, and it goes like this. It says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, there's that faithfulness, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. And I'm all of a sudden thought of this other awful moment in a movie, which is Last of the Mohicans. When, is it Daniel Day-Lewis? Is that the actor's name? When, when she's being captured, and, and what does he say? Does anybody remember the line? Nobody knows this line. They're in the waterfall. He's being dragged. Yes, ma'am. He says, I will find you. He says it real stud- way more studly than you just said it. But he, he says, I will find you. And he makes it his life's pursuit to find her. And that's what this song says is that God has invested all that it is to be God in finding you. It's that kind of love. It's this, it's this amazing list of attributes and, and ways of approaching you that we, we don't deserve coming from God. So I'm of the opinion that trying to grasp the love of God is kind of like trying to grasp the sun. The sun is unfathomably large, unfathomably hot, and so far away that we can't get it. I, I wrote a book a few years ago that, that was said to be the greatest book of this century by my mom. And, um, and in it, you go for a journey, and at one point, you fly around the sun, and And I did some research on the size of the sun and trying to comprehend the sun and what it would take to journey around the sun. And even even flying faster than any jet we know of, you could start at one end. You you can be a 1,000 miles away from the sun and looking at it, and you can't tell it's the sun anymore because all you see is a wall of flame. As far as you can see, all the way down the horizon, above you, below you, all you see is a wall of flame. And you can be that far away from it, and still that's all you see. It can absolutely consume your vision. You could fly around it faster than the speed of sound, and it would take weeks, maybe weeks and weeks, to get to the other side. It's, it's huge. It's, it's uh, 865,000 miles wide. And to put that in perspective, all these mountains we see here, this, the entire Earth, 8,000 miles wide. So I, I've flown to Thailand, and it takes 32 hours by plane. You get on a plane, and 32 hours later, you land in, on the opposite side of the globe. Just to put things in perspective as to where the sun is. And I'm, I'm convinced that trying to understand the love of God is, well, we'll put it this way. The sun is a flea in the universe. The sun is, a, is I've, got, I've got the song, A Speck in the Eye, The Flea, The Fly, The Wart, and The Frog, and The Bump, The Log, and The Hole, in The Bottom of the Sea. Right? The, the sun is a speck in the eye of a flea where the universe is concerned. It's, it's a subatomic nothingness compared to what the whole vastness of the universe is. And yet, our God created the vastness of the universe just by talking. He just said, let it be, and there it was. And so the God that created the universe has this incomprehensible love for you that goes beyond what you could ever imagine. And it says that that God, the one who created every portion of the universe, is love. That's who he is. So if if standing in front of the sun is all-consuming, what would it be to stand in front of God? 
What would it be to even for one moment get a glimpse of what he is, which is love? To get one glimpse of that unfathomable, indeterminable love. And that's what Paul's praying for his people, is that you will have power, revelation, knowledge that didn't come from you to get that love. So my second point is that this is a him thing and not a you thing. We can't, we can't come close to even getting the distance between us from the sun right. We can't fathom that kind of distance. There's no way we can get God's love. We don't have the brain power necessary to make it happen. And yet Paul seems to indicate that he wants to show us. The same song that, that they've been doing, Reckless Love, says there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. And we live our spiritual lives and our relational lives in like a desperate pursuit of knowing these things. Like we try so hard to get it. We try so hard to receive love. We try so hard to find love. We try so hard to reach God. And, and in some sense, trying to reach God is like trying to reach the sun only more. It's trying to reach the entire cosmos. It's something we can't do, but fortunately, he does. He reaches out and shows us. Paul says this elsewhere in his, in his letter to the Romans. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we go back to this passage that he's reading from. He prays that out of the glorious riches of God, that God in his awesomeness will give us something. And in the next passage, he talks about what that is. It's that we have power. We need power to get it. We cannot get it on our own. It says we need power to grasp, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So how do you find the sun? We work hard. We, 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 when it comes to God, we think if I just study hard enough, I just pray diligently enough, I just meditate regularly enough that maybe I'll have revelation from God. And in my opinion, uh, finding God is probably a lot simpler than that. It's like stepping outside and noticing the sun. It's, it's there. It's right there. It's, it's illuminating everything. The plants are alive, therefore the sun. Even on the darkest nights, even in your darkest night, you know the sun is coming. You know the earth will rotate and light will come. It's just, it's just there. It's just kind of there. So instead of searching and striving, I want to quote Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and just say, whoa. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. It's not striving. It's not working. It's just seeing. It's, just, it's revelation. It's just there. There was a tour in this place in Iceland that I'm not sure I will pronounce it correctly, Elgja Canyon in Iceland. I don't know why they use so many consonants. There used to be a volleyball player named Bob Stavertlik, and he had one vowel in his name that was like 12 characters long. Elgja Canyon in Iceland. And apparently when they all loaded up their bus at the end of this tour, one person was missing. And so they started a search party, about 50 people. And they called in the, the Icelandic version of the Coast Guard. So they brought helicopters in and, and, and cars and loaded with people. And they searched and searched and searched until about 3 a.m. when one of the women finally figured out that the person she had been searching for all night was her. She had been involved in her own search party looking for her. 
Because what had happened is when they stopped the tour, she had gotten on the bus and she had changed clothes. She had freshened up, is how they put it. And so when she got back off the bus, nobody recognized her, and chaos erupted. Everybody's looking for this woman on this Icelandic tour, when in reality, she's part of the search party looking. It's similar to the lady that says, where did I put my glasses? My understanding is if you wear glasses, this happens to you every now and then. Can anybody relate to this? Several times a day, right. It's there. It's, it's, it's literally on your face. You're searching for something that has already been found. Do I see a hand? You're, hi, how are you? You're searching for something that's already been found. And we're, we're, we're in this desperate search for something that's right on our face. We want, we want this list so bad. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be understood. We want people to love us despite our failures. And so we, we strive for that and we hunger for it and we look for it. And we're, we're always calling out to everybody around us, are you the one that's going to give this to me? Can I get it from you? Can I get it from this group of people? Can I get it from this church? Can I get it at this job site? Can I get this thing that I want terribly? And it just consumes me. And the reality is it's right there on your face. It's already there. It's already done. What you need is to see it. What you need is for your eyes to be opened. And that's what Paul's praying in this passage, is that you don't need it from anywhere else. What we do is we worship the moon. So my third point is you don't search for what's found. We, we see things that are pale reflections of the sun, and we invest in those things. We see a little bit of love here, a little bit of love there, and we think that's where I'm going to invest my life. And it's sort of like worshiping the moon instead of the sun. You guys know the old song, Looking for Love, or if you remember Eddie Murphy's character on Saturday Night Live, it was Looking for Nub. Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, and right now I'm reading this thinking I cannot believe I put this on the screen. Looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. I saw this quote this week. It says, we do so much to try and receive a watered-down shadow of love from watered-down, shadowy sources instead of drawing from the infinite reserve of the purest love. Andrew turned me on to this dude on Facebook recently. I'm going to quote him already. And he doesn't know how he became friends with him. He's some guy in southern Indiana, and as far as we know, he's not a preacher or a pastor or a writer. He's just some dude that, that posts really interesting tidbits on his Facebook page pretty constantly. It's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. And he said, I'm going to add you as a friend. And we have no idea. I have, he has no idea how he became friends with the guy on Facebook. And I'm only friends with the guy because I want to listen to the stuff that he says. But this is something he said about love like this week. As I'm preparing this sermon, I'm scrolling through his feed. And he says, my concept of love is powerfully conditioned by my attachment to control, my deep aversion to suffering, and my profound distrust of people. So even, even our best attempts at love, at being love are shadowy and watered down. The best love that you can ever get from somebody else is nothing compared to what pure, real love is. And it's the real love that was demonstrated by God. And so we live in a selfie culture. I thought this was a great picture. This is not to slam selfies at all. If you, if you want to take selfies, that's great. I mean, if I took selfies, you guys would all understand why, right? But we live in this culture where we're always trying to get the list by being what we think is lovable. We look for the list by shaping and transforming ourselves 
to try to be cool or popular or desirable. It's, we, we angle our phones in certain directions so that our best body parts will shine through because we want someone to be turned on by us. We, we want this list of, I want to be desired. I want to be wanted. We take pictures of our food so everyone will know how, how tastefully I choose my meals. We take pictures of our feet lounging on a beach somewhere so everyone will know, hey, I hang out at the beach because I'm awesome, right? Now, I'm not against Facebook. I, I've posted the same pictures. I post pictures of my food all the time because there's Jesus and then there's food and kind of in that order, right? But is there this desperation in us that is trying to paint a picture so that we can have the list? And what, what I think Paul is saying is, this list is done. You already have it. The source of love already gives you the list. You can stop striving. You can stop working and trying to be what you think everyone else will desire. Let that stuff go. Now, in some sense, we, we, look, we, look, for, we look at the moon, which is a pale reflection, and we ignore the sun. But my fourth point and final point is that in some sense what we need to be is, is like the moon. and It's, it's reflective. So there's, there's this love that's a wall of love that we can look to the right or left. We can never see the end of it. We can look up or down, and we will never see it fail or diminish in any sense. It's there. It's fixed. It's unchangeable, the love of God. And what the moon does is, when it comes to the sun, is it takes that light and it scatters it out. And that's what Paul talks about in, in this letter is that we receive that love and therefore we send that love out into the world. And that's how barriers of hostility are broken down. That's how one new humanity is created. That's how everything changes for you. And so what it comes down to is this need in our lives to grasp what we couldn't possibly grasp on our own. We need a miracle. We need someone to show us what love is in a way that we could never conjure up on our own. And, if, and, and, and unless Paul is an, an, an idiot, it must be available. What he's saying is, as this person who's received revelation from God, what he's saying is, that knowledge is, is available to you. You can have it. And what he's doing, he's asking for it. It's, it's not complicated. It's not, it's not a lifelong struggle. I, I, I've heard in Tibet that they have these prayer walks that they'll walk on. So they'll walk up basically a pyramid. So they'll walk up and up and up and up till they reach the top. And they walk on their knees and every now and then they'll stop and they'll ring a prayer bell. And they'll climb a little higher. And they'll ring a prayer bell. And they'll climb a little higher on their knees the whole time all the way up to the top in this, in this desire for enlightenment. These are your deepest existential needs. This, this is what you need as a soulish person, as a spirit, this is what you need. And it doesn't take the walks up the prayer, the prayer walks. It doesn't take getting on your knees and climbing and struggling and scraping. It doesn't take any of that. It takes, it takes opening your eyes. It takes seeing the sun. It takes walking outside and quoting Ted and saying, whoa. And it takes a God who will do that for you. This is how Paul closes this portion of his letter. So he has this, he actually prays for them. He says, now... To him who is able to do. So after this whole, this whole talk on, you need to know something that you couldn't possibly know on your own. And it's this 
incredible love of God, this massive thing that you couldn't wrap your head around. So he says, you need to know it. It's bigger than you. This is how he closes it out. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he says, you couldn't know it on your own, but it's there. It's this incredible love that you couldn't possibly comprehend. But good news, God can do, God can do more than you could ever ask. And so if you stop and ask, and in a moment we're going we're gonna to give you the opportunity to do this. If you stop and ask, God, how can I know it? I want to know it. Paul says, God will do way more than that. God will do, he will blow your mind. He'll blow your expectations. He is capable of doing immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he wants, he wants to do that in your life.